Hey, well, good morning, everyone. So great to be with you uh, here in the church and also online. We're so glad that you've come to uh, worship God and to be exposed to the truth that he has in his word. This is a special day because today we get to honor and pay tribute to Colleen Fletcher, who this week is celebrating 40 years of service to NPPC staff, right? <laughs> 40 years, that means she first started working here when she was five years old, you know? Pretty amazing, right? But she is amazing. There's no doubt about it. Think of all the Christ-like caring that has flowed through her to literally thousands and thousands of people over the years in hospital rooms, at gravesides, home visits, counseling sessions, middle-of-the-night phone calls, and in multiplying her effectiveness through all the caring ministries that she has pioneered. I mean, I've never met anyone who I think has was as gifted and called to caring ministries as Colleen. And it has been so great to partner with her over all these years that I've been at NPPC because we're opposites in many ways, which she constantly points out to me. Uh, my strengths are in kind of preaching and teaching leadership, not really in pastoral care. And so she's always been the yin to my yang, okay? And in that way, we've been a blessing to each other. Colleen is unique because she rushes into the situations that other people would do anything to avoid. A tough cancer diagnosis. She is there a suicide, a tragic death, a, a fractured marriage. Colleen is just like a pit bull on that stuff. You just take off the leash and get out of her way. She thrives on those really tough situations. Or what she actually loves best, being with someone at the very moment of their death, to help them make the journey from this life to the next in the presence and the peace of Christ. She absolutely loves that. And that's why I've never wanted her to visit me whenever I'm in the hospital. I don't want her to come into the room and sit by my, my bed and say, Jeff, you know, you ready to go? No, I'm not ready yet. Over the years, the one thing I've learned most from Colleen is the importance of grief. The importance of grief. The importance of acknowledging and dealing with the sadness and the emptiness and the sorrow that comes from loss. And to know that someone doesn't have to die in order for grief to be real. Grief is not just about what we feel when someone we care about dies. Grief is much bigger than that. We encounter grief every time we experience any kind of loss. Grief is a part of every kind of loss. And that truth is not something we recognize easily. Most of the time people are not even aware that the odd feelings they're going through are really an encounter with grief. Here in the U.S., generally speaking, we are not very good at dealing with grief. We're not aware of it when it's happening, and we underestimate its impact on our daily lives because, you know, we live in this culture where you're always supposed to look like you've got it all together. So whatever the loss is, get over it, you know, move on. That's what our culture says, just get over it. But, but good grief is the antithesis of that. Grief means taking the time to acknowledge the loss, to really feel it, and then to know how to accept the loss as you take your next step. Understanding the necessity of grief is very important to us as we look at this current sermon theme on transitions, faith in a time of change. Last week I talked about how transition is different than change. Change is, is something that happens, good or bad. You, you move to a new city, you start a new job, you start in-person school, or, or your spouse walks out on you. 
good or bad, change is the thing that happens. Transition is how you deal with it. Transition is that inner reorientation of your mind and your heart towards that change. Transition is the redefinition you have to go through to incorporate that change into your life. And without transition, uh, change is just kind of like rearranging the furniture. Unless transition happens in a healthy way, the change usually gets stuck somewhere. It doesn't, it doesn't take. And you try to kind of keep going back to your old life, which can't be done. And so you're kind of stuck in this no man's land. You can't go backwards and you can't go forwards. Last week we also looked at how transition has a definite three-step process. There's the old situation, the old normal, then there's this middle period of disruption, and then finally this new normal, the new beginning. That's the three-step process. Old normal, a period of disruption, and that can be long or short, and then the new normal. And the thing I want us to focus in on this morning is that every transition begins with an ending. Every ending carries with it some grief. Let me say that again. Every transition begins with an ending, and every ending carries with it some grief. And that's true of the good and happy transitions as well as the unwelcome and unexpected ones. Let me give you an example of a positive transition that has a lot of hidden grief. The birth of a healthy child. Now you might be wondering, Jeff, how could the birth of a healthy child be an encounter with grief? For most couples, that first child is something that they've planned for, they've hoped for, they've prayed for. There's so much activity about getting ready for the birth. There's birthing classes. There's getting the nursery ready. There's doctor's appointments. There's gatherings with friends and family as the excitement builds. And then the baby arrives and you are off to the races. How could that possibly be grief? Well, the new parents move on to this new stage of life often without thinking about all the parts of their old life that are left behind. The loss of freedom. The loss of spontaneity. That kind of life just disappears in a cloud of smoke. You can't just pick up and go like you used to. You can't just do whatever you please. You don't go out. You can't be with your friends like you used to. Those relationships, the relationships with all your friends change because of this new relationship that you have with your baby. And if you do go out, it takes you an hour to load up the car with all the plastic and everything. And that newborn turns out a baby is fussy, intrusive, demanding. Your old routine is gone. There's the loss of sleep, the loss of energy, a huge fatigue factor from middle of the night feedings and babies just acting like babies. You don't have the energy you used to. And with that, then there's often a loss of intimacy in the marriage. The couple's relationship with each other changes. The typical patterns of relating to each other, they get lost as they add on the new roles of mother and father to the roles of wife and husband. There may also be a loss or a change of career. And so there can be a sadness over the loss of that old identity. And even though having a baby is your dream come true, there can be a sense of isolation. As one new mom writes, it seems to me that I've crossed some kind of threshold and there's no going back. My old life is gone. How come nobody talks about that? They congratulate you on the new life, but I have to mourn the old life alone. Folks, that's grief. And so we need to be able to acknowledge that even in the good things, there is loss, and these losses need to be mourned. 
without a good grief, there's some part of us that clings to what we used to, makes us wonder whether or not this change was a good idea or not. We hold on to the feeling that the old thing was maybe better for us, and this new thing doesn't fit. That's why new parents can often feel estranged from each other, may end up in therapy or divorce court, because they've never really allowed themselves to go through the grief that comes even with a positive change. So when we think about the positive changes that are coming to us, as the year of COVID is now hopefully coming to an end, as we look forward to experiencing that new normal of more open schools, more open businesses, more open work, as our church looks forward to a new season, electing and welcoming a new senior pastor, as you think about your own personal and family transitions, let's remember that everyone begins with an ending. And every ending carries with it some level of grief. Now, the Bible is a book that really understands the importance of grief and grieving. There's a whole section in the book of Psalms called Psalms of Lament. Lament, what a great word. Lament means the ability to express sorrow and sadness, the ability to express your sorrow and sadness. And the ancient Israelites understood how the changes they went through brought loss, and so they built lament into their worship, something we in the American church, we just don't know how to do very well at all. We don't publicly lament very well. And then in the New Testament, we all take great comfort from that verse from John 11.35, shortest verse in the Bible, described so eloquently and so simply Jesus' reaction to the death of his good friend Lazarus. Just two words, and you know them. Jesus, what? He wept. To see Jesus grieve, to see Jesus grieve the loss, it touches our hearts, reminds us of that great description of the Messiah that that uh, uh, Colleen quoted earlier, Isaiah 53.3, that he's going to be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. That's a description of Jesus, this man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And if it was important for Jesus to grieve, how much more important it must be for us to follow his example. Every transition begins with an ending. Every ending carries with it some grief. Now, if you were to Google transitions in the Bible, the number one thing that would pop up would be the leadership transition from Moses to Joshua. How Moses on his deathbed, he passes the baton of leadership over Israel to Joshua, who Moses has been mentoring and grooming for the job for many decades. Online, you'll find more than 100 sermons on Numbers chapter 27 or Joshua chapter 1, all on the importance of healthy transition and the way that Moses and Joshua, they nailed it. I mean, they really got it right. The rituals, the blessings of the priest Eleazar, the, the appointing of, uh, from God over Joshua's life, they just nailed it. All the transition sermons that I could find were all about that transfer of power. The Moses to Joshua transfer has almost become a cliche in church succession planning. But what I didn't see were the ones about that same transition as it's described in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 34, verse 8. This one little verse, the Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Did you get that? The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Somehow this verse gets ignored. 
it gets skipped over, it's omitted. Well, why? Because we like the happy parts of the Bible. We like all the upbeat parts of the Bible where everything goes from better to best. And that verse, it just sounds like a downer. 30 days of mourning, come on. We'd all rather not grieve anyway, and 30 days just sounds like a really long time. Let's just move on to the happy ending where the good guys win. That's what we like. But I've always believed and I've always tried to preach that it's in the hard verses of the Bible that we need to pay attention to. I believe it's in the grieving that then allows the good stuff to happen. It's the grieving that allows the good stuff to happen. The Israelites needed to acknowledge this tremendous loss they were going through as Moses died, their lifetime leader, the one who had confronted Pharaoh, who led them out of Egypt, who walked them through the Red Sea, who guided them in the wilderness, who brought them to the very edge of the promised land, and now he's gone. They needed to acknowledge how big a loss that was going to be. And they needed to just sit with it for a while. Just sit with it and feel the loss. It wasn't just as easy as unplug Moses and insert Joshua. It wasn't that easy for them as a nation. They needed to acknowledge their loss, sit with it for a while, and just kind of feel it. And then they needed to tell stories. For 30 days they grieved, they told stories. If you go on in Deuteronomy chapter 34, down to verse 10, it says this, Since then no prophet has risen like in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all these signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land, for no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of Israel. To me, that's a summary of what they talked about during those 30 days of mourning. As they sat around 10,000 campfires and they told stories about Moses. Remember? Remember when Moses threw down that staff and it became a snake? That freaks me out. I hate snakes. Or when he came down the mountain with those tablets of God's commandments and he was so mad at the people for making that golden island. Remember he threw them down and they broke? Man, did he have a temper. They told stories. And they retold all those stories that they had learned from their parents about what God had done through Moses. In fact, storytelling becomes a key feature of the Jewish experience. Retelling stories, passing the stories on to their children and to their children's children. So important to who the Israelites were as a people that they preserved those stories, eventually collected those stories, and wrote them down into what we now call the Old Testament, the Scripture. Retelling the ancient stories was what knit them together as a people, like, like Psalm 78. It's a psalm of remembrance, just a few verses, Psalm 52, uh, verse 52. He brought his people out of Egypt like a flock. He led them like sheep through the wilderness. He guided them safely so they were unafraid, but the sea engulfed their enemies. And so he brought them to the border of his holy land, to the hill country, and his right hand had taken. He drove out nations before them and allotted their leaders' lands to them as an inheritance. He settled the tribes of Israel in their homes. You see, the secret to the success of Moses-Joshua transition, I think, was in their grieving. Acknowledging that their loss was real, and they told stories. And friends, that's how good grief happens. So what have you lost this past year? What losses are you still going through? What losses might be coming up for you? 
the parents of that kindergartner who were looking forward to those perfect photos on the first day of school. Didn't happen. The child who was looking forward to making new friends at school and got stuck in virtual purgatory. The high school senior who didn't get to walk across the stage and to receive his or her diploma. That job that disappeared. The college student who's going to class over the internet rather than being with friends on campus. The loss of sports as a player or even as a spectator. That special vacation that got canceled and may not come again. That dream that evaporated, the loss of opportunity, the loss of freedom, the loss of church togetherness, the loss of being able to just connect with people in a meaningful way. Don and I had our very first in-home visit with another couple this past Friday night, first time in 14 months. That used to be a regular part of our lives to be able to go and be with people. That's a loss that we need to acknowledge. I could go on and on, not to mention the harsher reality of the loved ones who did die by COVID or by any of the other ways people die. I saw some research, research by a demographer, uh, Emily Smith Greenway, who teaches at USC, about the number of people impacted by COVID deaths. Not the people who died themselves, but the number of people left behind who were impacted by those deaths. Her research states that, and I quote, each death results in about nine other Americans grieving the death. So nine people per, per COVID death feeling the loss. That means if about you know, 565,000 people have died from COVID, then there are about five million of us who are actually really grieving. That's a lot of grief. Our losses are all going to be different, but our losses are all going to be the same in some ways. And so we should never minimize our own grief or someone else's. We should never tell someone, you'll get over it, move on. Especially your children and our teens. There's a lot of hidden grief in our children and in our teens as they have had to face challenges and changes that they were simply not prepared for. Don't minimize the grief that your children might be going through. Don't tell them to snap out of it. That never works and only drives them inward, hiding their grief when we should be creating a safe atmosphere so that our children and our teens can talk about their losses without being criticized. The experience of grief, the reality of grief, we need to validate that in our own hearts and in our conversations with others especially our children and teens. Remember, no one has to die in order for grief to be real. And then tell stories. And I'm not sure why telling stories helps with the grieving process. I just know that it does. It's a bit of wisdom that the Israelites learned a long time ago, and we need to learn it too. Talking about your losses is important. Getting your children, your teenagers, to talk about their losses is important. Remember, that stupid drive-by graduation, to make jokes about that lame online school orientation, to remember the milestone events that were missed, how it felt the first time you went into a store and you forgot your mask, oh, mo, the panic, you know, the frustration of not being able to visit someone in the hospital. It's important to tell those stories and then just to listen to the stories of others without comparing or trying to top other people. Like, if you think that's bad, wait to hear what happened to me. You know, just, just don't do that. Just listen. Just listen to all the ways life has changed from what people thought it was going to be to what it is. 
I don't know why telling stories is so important in moving, moving through grief. I just know it's true. A few years ago, because of my volunteer work as a police chaplain, I was asked to participate in grief sessions with a local police department that didn't have a chaplain program. One of the young officers was killed on his way to work in a head-on collision out on I-78. Another driver crossed the median early in the morning, hit him straight on. And so I went to the police station with a county homicide detective and an investigator from the prosecutor's office who are both trained in what's called the cop-to-cop -cop program that deals with this kind of trauma for police officers. And for three days, we met with all the various shifts of officers individually and in small groups to talk about what had happened and the sudden loss of their comrade. They were all shaken by his death, but you know, cops tend to be a pretty stoic bunch. And so since we didn't personally know the officer, we just asked, can you tell me something about him that's important to you? And usually after a few moments of very awkward silence, someone would tell a story. And then another, and then another, and soon the cops would be laughing, and then they'd be crying, and then they'd be sobbing, and then they'd be hugging all at the same time. For three days we did that because we needed to help people tell stories. That's part of how you have good grief. Acknowledge the reality of loss, tell stories. We also need to have moments and times of remembrance. Rituals actually help with the process of healing. Many of the people who lost loved ones have had their grief complicated by the fact that they couldn't have a memorial service like normal. Sanctuaries were closed. People were reluctant to gather or couldn't gather. And so the normal rituals that help with healing, they just weren't possible. So a simple ritual is a good way to acknowledge the reality of grief. You know, rituals like lighting a candle, laying flowers at a memorial, saying a prayer, those are all important ways to express our grief. And they should be used because they do help people move through their grief to what comes next. That's why our church is going to be hosting a community vigil on May 13th, a vigil for all those in our local communities who have died because of COVID. I hope you'll think about attending 7 p.m. May 13th. And so even as we move toward all these good things that I believe are coming our way, let's remember that with every good beginning, it starts with a loss, and every loss carries at least a little grief. It's not a popular topic, but such an important one as individuals and families and as a community, as a church, we do need to follow the pattern of ancient Israel, acknowledge the reality of what we have left behind, and tell each other our stories to help ease the passage to the new normal. And then we can begin to turn the page and experience hope and healing in a brighter future. It is coming, and I believe with God's help, we'll be ready. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you just for the opportunity to acknowledge that we all grieve. Some of us are not very good at it. Some of us like to bury those feelings pretty deep. Some of us haven't grieved over events that happened 20, 30, 40 years ago. We still haven't really faced the reality of what we went through or the loss that we experienced. And I pray that we as a people, as a community, we would also kind of corporately allow ourselves to grieve as we move into new and exciting uh, opportunities and new ventures, Lord. It's great to look ahead, but help us not to jump there too quickly, but to allow your spirit just to bring 
what needs to be done in each one of our hearts and in our families. Help us especially be sensitive to our children and our teens, Lord, who grieve in their own way that might be different than ours, and allow them the opportunity to talk about the losses that they've experienced. Give us the grace by your Holy Spirit just to tell good stories to each other. In your name we pray. Amen.